Hey, this is Sophia. And this is Natasha. And welcome to another episode of Winter's Blooms Talks, which is an extension of our website, Winter's Bloom. Hello everyone, Um, welcome to another episode of Winter Blooms Talks. Um, This one is going to be on rejection, um, which is something that I think everyone, I feel safe to say that everyone has experienced or will experience in their lifetimes. Um, And this one will also kind of loosely be based off of an article that Sophia found, um, where they talk about different studies that show that emotional pain or rejection is kind of linked in our brains to physical pain. Um, And that will be linked in the show notes if you all are interested in reading a little bit further. Um, But to kind of kick us off, um, Sophia, in the article, it talks about how we remember emotional rejection more strongly than physical pain. And I thought that that was a really interesting point, and it made me reflect a lot on my life. And I was wondering if you had found that in your experience to be the case. Yeah, definitely. I was actually reflecting um, on that kind of statement or theory uh, within the article, and it reminded me of a passage that I've recently read in... um, I'm I, I'm never sure if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, so I'm, uh, correctly, sorry. So I'm sorry if it's wrong, but I think it's um, Eckhart Tolle's *The Power of Now*, um, which is like one of his most famous books. Um, and in it, there's like this section where he describes how physical pain and you know certain instances where the immediacy of death is kind of um, palatable so I guess like kind of in extreme sports and that kind of stuff um in those moments we're kind of really forced to be in the present moment and you know everything about like the past that you were dwelling on or all future plans are just really like they just go out the window because you you're physically connected to that pain um whatever it is and your mind just focuses on that and he kind of contrasts that with um emotional or psychological pain um which you know doesn't actually force us to be in the present but if anything it kind of drags us back into the past um like dwelling on things um regretting things a kind of sadness that accompanies certain emotions um or it does the opposite I guess and kind of propels us into the future with the worries and anxieties of what might happen um so I guess, like, based on his kind of thinking, um, yeah, I, I've kind of come to my own conclusion, and also from my own experiences as well, physical pain, that physical pain kind of almost has, like, a lease on it, like a kind of end date or, like, end time, um, where at some point it stops, and then our bodies are generally quite good at forgetting or at least burying that physical pain or the intensity of it, whereas um, emotional pain... And in this case, I guess, like emotional rejection can kind of live on um, for as long as you allow it to. And yeah, um, Tule says like another bit that there are two levels to emotional pain. So there's the pain that you create in the now and then the pain from the past that still lives on in your your mind and your body. Um, And so I think that kind of pain takes a lot more 
active effort to stop um and probably why it feels so why we remember it so so much more strongly I feel than physical pain but what are your thoughts on that yeah I think you brought up a lot of really good points that um in some ways are similar in some ways are different to um some of my reflections and so bear with me because my thoughts are going in many different directions at the moment um but I think it I really just to talk about your last point about how like physical pain has a lease in the body and then it's kind of up and the body heals itself um I definitely feel like I definitely agree with that I think that you know our bodies are like our physical bodies are remarkably resilient um I mean obviously some more than others but I think they are inherently you know, in order to survive, they are inherently meant to heal themselves. Um, and I and I think I also have a little bit of that mentality because, um, so my dad's a doctor um, and he very much, when we were growing up, had the mentality that like, if, you know, if a limb wasn't hanging off of us, we weren't going to go to the hospital. So basically, yeah, he was very hands off and just was kind of like, your body's going to take care of it. It's going to be fine. Um, and, you know, when I, when I was thinking about what that article was saying specifically, Um, it's so true. I feel that most of the time I dwell on these moments of emotional pain more often than on the physical pain. And I was actually listening. So, um, this is slightly a tangent, but I was listening to this podcast called Asian Boss Girl. Um, and they did an episode about Black Lives Matter and allyship, um, specifically because in the U.S. at least, uh, the Asian community has more actually in the recent history uh, stood silently by um, as, you know, like the Black Lives Matter movement took off or things have been happening to the Black community in the U.S. And they were talking about the history of Black and Asian communities and how further back in history um, there was actually a lot of allyship and solidarity between the two. Um, But then they started talking about their families and about how it has been sometimes a little bit difficult to speak to the older generations of our communities and our families um, because they hold on to this trauma of what it meant in the past to speak up, um, you know, on any issue. Um, and, And I thought that that was kind of interesting and kind of is maybe a slightly different perspective than one that you were talking about because I've been really interested recently in um, epigenetics and like the scientific reason why, um, you know, like inherited trauma. Like I know that that has always, or for a long time at least, I've heard about inherited trauma um, in different family lineages. Um, But I think more recently it's starting to be shown in genetics that that is actually an inherited thing. Um, And so I feel like that's kind of a place where the emotional and the physical trauma link. Um, And I don't know, I don't know enough about it. I'm definitely not an expert, but I just, I think that it's super interesting. And it's one of the things that I thought about when, um, when this article was talking about this, where I think, yeah, maybe in our own personal lives, um, the emotional pain, emotional rejection is experienced a little bit more intensely and for longer than physical pain. But maybe if we look at the bigger picture of like different generations, somehow those two are interconnected. That's really interesting what you were, um, yeah, how you connected, I guess, the two of like the physical and the emotional rejection. And it kind of reminded me of um, another part in the article where it was saying how 
the reason why like emotional rejection hurts so much is because um it kind of developed from this this need for survival um and so like when we were hunters and gatherers or like part of a more kind of um well I don't know if it's not primordial that's not the right word but like more primitive I guess um communities the need to be part of um to be part of like that community and the security and protection that was afforded meant that rejection had to be almost as as like threatening or as painful as physical um pain because that was like kind of you know the cost of not being in that community or having that protection could have been death or whatever just being outcast um and I actually think that this could be a good link into um the next topic that we kind of wanted to talk about which was about social media because I feel like a lot of the emotional rejection that's experienced on social media has kind of that same element almost but kind of in this virtual sphere now where it's like you want to be part of a group or you want to have kind of social currency and therefore you know not whatever attaining likes or not having that kind of visibility or interaction on um social media could perhaps be equally as um painful emotionally um and so yeah this is actually a question that you you um prepared for us Natasha so I hope you don't mind me like throwing it back at you but um have you experienced or observed um these feelings of rejection on the social media sphere um and if you have or even if you haven't do you have any advice or strategy um to shed those feelings of rejections from something that is as personal as impersonal sorry as social media yeah so um I'll definitely jump into my answer for that in just a minute but I kind of wanted to respond a little bit to some of the things that um that you had just brought up um and I think I think what you're saying about what the article was saying was really interesting as well about the whole like how it's actually linked to you know way back when when we were hunter gatherers and like there was an actual uh consequence for rejection um and maybe in a way that kind of links to like what i was saying before where it's you know it's this inherited trauma that we're exhibiting now um and also kind of like uh, as you were speaking it reminded me of this time in high school when i was in biology class um and the teacher was you know talking to us about um you know, how our bodies break down calories into energy to actually use. And I remember, like, I, I can't remember exactly what, how he was phrasing it, but I was, I, I raised my hand to ask a question because I was like, oh, you know, like, how come our bodies don't know when we've had enough calories and just like stop processing them, you know, or I, I can't remember exactly how it was, but basically my thinking was like, oh, you know, we talk so much about evolution and how we've evolved. And how come, you know, we still see people like, um, you know, like maybe putting on unhealthy amounts of weight. And and I don't want to stray into like, you know, body shaming or anything. So I think everyone should feel comfortable in their whole, in their own body. Um, and that probably speaks a little bit more to my own journey with that. But anyway, to get back to the point, my teacher um, or the teacher was like, oh, well, 
because we like there hasn't been enough time like before when we were you know in a more primitive society there really was a lot of scarcity and you know people had like whenever there was plenty they had to eat to put on the weight in order to you know like survive those times of scarcity um and in a way i feel like this conversation on um like emotional rejection, emotional pain is somewhat similar in that I feel like there hasn't been enough time to like maybe evolve to process that emotional pain in the same way that our bodies process physical pain. And again, this is all just kind of like in my mind. I have no authority to be saying these things. So if any of you listeners know more about it, please reach out and let us know. Um, But kind of jumping back to your question, um, I feel for a really long time that I didn't actually feel very much rejection from social media just because, and I I think Sophia, you might, I don't know if things have changed for you similarly, um, but you, I think you might agree to what I'm, I'm saying from before. Like, I feel I've been very much a grandma and kind of like anti-technology and social media. So, I mean, I, I had a Facebook page to keep in touch with people like you who are far away. Um, And I didn't even have an Instagram until Winter's Bloom, really. Um, And I feel since we've launched Winter's Bloom, I've definitely been a lot more on the social media. Like we have a Facebook page for it. We have YouTube, Instagram, WordPress, all this stuff. Um, So I've definitely been more involved in that side of things. Um, I think maybe one of the times, I don't know if this is exactly the feeling rejection on social media, but um, a while ago I posted uh, something on Instagram about FDR um, from our Winter's Bloom and how he had said some racist comment. And that got a lot of likes on Instagram and on Facebook. And I could feel myself getting sucked into it. Um, because I kept like that day in particular, maybe like the few days surrounding it, I definitely was checking my Facebook and the Instagram much more often. So I guess that's not really an example of rejection, but it's an example of like how I got sucked into it. Um, and I think I think in the moment, I was definitely involved in what was happening, but I think looking back on it and since that moment as well, because I recognized that that was a pattern that I didn't want to maintain, um, I just, I try at least to just check and update any social media stuff, particularly for Winter's Bloom, just in the mornings and the evenings um, and leave like the middle part of the day to just be as empty of social media as possible. Um, what about you, Sophia? Yeah, so I think um, I feel like my perhaps I'm kind of the inverse in that I think I used to have a lot more kind of personal social media accounts. Like I used to have a Twitter like back in, I don't know, secondary school. I used to have like a personal Instagram. Um, and I'm pretty sure I had things like MySpace and whatever, Bieber and those kind of things growing up. Um, and so I think during those times of having loads of like multiple different social media accounts um particularly Instagram as well um I did experience that weird like impersonal rejection on social media where it's not even someone really actively rejecting you or it's not an active rejection um per se but it's more just like not receiving 
attention through likes or views or comments or engagement or whatever. Um, and so that was actually one of the main reasons why I decided to delete my personal Instagram account along with like Twitter and everything else. And even on Facebook, I've kind of tried to leave it to like the bare bones as much as possible so I literally have just my one profile picture um I like took off all my profile pictures I I don't think I even let people like post on my wall or like tag me and stuff just because I don't want that space to be like a place where I go and look for that kind of instant gratification um yeah to be honest the only reason I really have Facebook is mainly because it's well, for winter's bloom, but also because I, I have like friends and family around the world and that, and they all seem to be on that. And that's just the easiest way to communicate with people. But I did, yeah, notice that habit slowly forming um, when I had those multiple social media accounts and it definitely was not a healthy one. Um, and I do think, like I've read a couple of um, articles with studies about the kind of psychological... Um, wiring and kind of development that goes behind social media and as much as it is made for our kind of pleasure and to release like you know dopamine and um, oxytocin it also is made to be addictive because like the very thing that gives us pleasure as well as the very things that are addictive um and so yeah I think in terms of advice um, I could give for social media is kind of like what you were saying, just limiting it to the day or the evening. I've deleted like Facebook off my phone. I think I only have, I only have Instagram because you kind of need to have Instagram on your phone to post things. Um, And I know that there are like these apps that you can get where you, I'm not sure what they're called exactly, but I'm sure you can Google it and find it where you kind of set a time limit or you set like a, an hour a day or something that you're allowed to use your social media account so if you use it for more than an hour it automatically locks you out of it or vice versa that you just have like a kind of a time slot in the day and if you try to log on or like open up the app before then it won't allow you to do that um but yeah really it's just it comes down to discipline and I guess kind of self self will with it to be honest Mm. Yeah, and as you were speaking, I also thought of another, um, well, so this is actually advice from my sister, I think that she unknowingly gave me, but um, so she has, she is always on social media for her farm and now for our side hustle, um, Vlate Sisters, but anyway, um, she was talking about specifically like her farm, how she has a certain number of followers, I'm not exactly sure how much, but other farms in this similar area will have something like 60,000 followers, which is a ridiculous amount of followers, I think. I don't know, maybe not. But um, but the way that, like, I guess the advice that she gave me is kind of like to ground it back in reality. Um, because what she says is she's like, oh, yeah, I see these other farms. And for a second, I feel like a little bit of anxiety because I'm like, oh, how do these similar farms in this similar area have so many more followers than we do? But then she kind of like does this like pauses and does this thinking where she's like, okay, well, a lot of their followers are out of state. So obviously aren't direct customers, whereas almost every single one of her followers are customers in some way. Um, And so I think I think that like 
I feel often that these huge numbers that you see, like whether it's number of likes, number of followers, number of views, um, can kind of make your head spin in many ways. Like it can make you anxious because of how few you have or, you know, it's always like that comparison game. Um, but I think for her, she found that she when she was able to like kind of rationalize it and like ground it back in reality versus this social platform that is really just maintained by the people who believe in it um is she she was able to kind of like shed a lot of those anxieties or fears or rejection um but yeah I just I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing and another piece of advice that I thought of um but I kind of wanted to transition into um maybe like a slightly different topic um so I feel that I feel this kind of whenever I read self-help articles or books um, or stuff like that in general. And sometimes I feel that these um, these perspectives can kind of shed it in a light where it's like we don't have much control over it. So, for example, in this article that we read, um, it was talking a lot about how it has to do with... Um, oh my God, what is the word? Like hormones or chemicals in our brain that kind of like make us feel this way um and so that kind of to me makes me think oh to a certain extent it's out of my or our control so I was curious Sophia how you balance if at all this mentality with the idea that we do have autonomy over our actions and reactions yeah I I agree with what you're saying that it read in a certain light or I guess read without that self-reflection, you can kind of easily come to the conclusion that it's like, oh, you know, well, it's not my fault. And kind of, yeah, I can be let off the hook to kind of dwell in these feelings of rejection. Um, but I think I think there's like a, a difference, I guess, between acknowledging a predisposition towards something or understanding why something happens naturally, or not naturally, but I would say more of a habit, really, because I think even, you know, the the experiences of rejection and how we react to it is isn't a natural occurrence. It's something that's a learnt behavior over time. Um, and so I've kind of been I've been doing this like neuroplasticity online course thing with my sister and um, a thread of that that um, has come up in the course is the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy and so I've kind of done my own very um, surface level research into it. And so um, I guess in very, very simple terms, it's a process where you can train your mind to break away from uh, habits or behaviors that have been kind of learned over time and reinforced through repetition. And so the premise of it is that a situation in and of itself doesn't have the power to dictate how you feel but rather the way you feel about a situation really depends on the thoughts that you have in response to it um and so to get I guess kind of practical what it really means is that you or that we can work to slow down our reaction time between a situation occurring um so I don't know being rejected and the consequence of like feeling hurt upset or whatever your reaction is um, in the case of being rejected. And so the cognitive um, behavioral therapy follows this, or one of the models that I came across at least, is called the ABC model, where A 
uh, refers to a situation or in this case, like an activating event for the A. Um, C refers to the consequence and B is the belief that arises out of the situation and leads to the consequence. So that's like the key kind of link between the two. And usually the belief um, is an automatic thought because according to what I've learned from um, this neuroplasticity course, our brains are, our brain basically likes to take the easy way out of things. And so um, it will often fall back on old habits rather than doing a new habit because it's just more effort to, to carry out a new action, at least at the beginning. Um, and so we fall into the same kind of thought patterns and the same behavioral patterns. But if we're able to slow down our reaction time, um, we can challenge that belief and we can offer our brains new beliefs and as a consequent kind of change our response to to rejection. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think there is a lot of autonomy to be had in how we deal with it. Um, but just realizing that we are probably predisposed to a certain reaction um, based on, yeah, past experiences. I I really like a lot of what you're saying and I feel like there's so many things I want to comment on so I'll try to try to kind of stay organized um but I really um I feel like a lot of what you were saying kind of reminds me of what my mom used to talk about um and I think I've mentioned this a few times before but um she was a Buddhist practitioner and teacher um and a lot of what she would talk about is that that same thing of kind of like letting go of whatever emotions are going on inside of you so that you can give yourself that space um, to react um, in in potentially a different way than you would have. Um, because she would she would always talk about being reactive or being conditioned. And there are certain ways that, you know, we've picked up from birth basically that we react to certain situations. But once you're aware of you know, the, the certain amount of quote unquote control that you have over your reactions. Um, it is about, about giving that time and space in the present moment. Um, and I think that's, um, that's something that I tend to forget sometimes. And actually sometimes something that we talked about, if you all haven't listened yet to our, um, conversation with coach Jose on being mixed race. Um, he, has been I, I don't think he currently is but he um he was a fighter like a professional fighter and he has like it it's seemingly the largest well of patience um that I've ever witnessed like he teaches jujitsu to young children every single day and I've never seen him raise his voice and he in our conversation we talk a lot about how when you come from a place of anger he believes at least um, that it just kind of like you make mistakes. Um, and I definitely do agree with that and also think that emotions do have a role to play. Um, but that is, is definitely getting onto, um, another topic. Um, what you were saying also, and also this question kind of reminded me of this passage in Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. It's his memoir. And he talks about how, like, for a, lo a large part of his life, it was really him and his mom against the world. Um, that was kind of like the the culture of their little family. Um, and they grew up in South Africa during apartheid. And what he says, like, some a lesson that, <clears throat> excuse me, a lesson that his mom taught him when he was really young, is that it's really important to remember where we've been 
and to learn our history, not so that we can get caught up in like dwelling over it and wishing it could have been different, but so that we can move on and be better. Um, And I think that that, I don't know, that really kind of spoke to me. I know that that's kind of probably repeated wisdom, Um, but hearing that because I I listened to the audiobook that really spoke to me and I was like oh yeah that's true like I think that there is power in maybe acknowledging that there are certain things going on inside of our bodies or inside of our minds that to a certain degree as you're saying are like the easier quote-unquote option like the you know what what our minds and bodies fall back on but if we can give ourselves the time and the space maybe we can try to rework that um and like and form new habits um but yeah I don't know I thought that was it was just there was a lot of thoughts going on in my head um also kind of what you were talking about with neuroplasticity and cognitive behavioral therapy that reminded me of something that I did a lot of reading on um when I was in you know doing my dissertation and stuff and that's this thing called narrative therapy um which I don't know. I mean, I'm a big lover of stories. Like I, and it just really sat with me because it's all about kind of like rewriting your internal story or even your external story. Um, and I thought it kind of like related to this question and that like, so oftentimes there's this like story that we tell ourselves, like, for example, I mean, this is kind of a silly example, but like, if I just keep telling myself, oh, I'm a bad cook, like I'm really bad at cooking. I'm really bad at cooking. But, but part of this like narrative therapy is to help, I guess, myself in this example, identify like when that hasn't been true. Like maybe I've made something that everyone really liked and to kind of dismantle that continual narrative that I've been telling myself. I'd be like, oh, okay, but there was that one time that I made, I don't know, really good fried rice or something. Um, And so then it like helps you rewrite, um, yeah, just rewrite your personal story. but yeah, I just I, I was really into all of that and thought that it was a really cool concept. Um, I was wondering, though, Sophia, just kind of moving on a little bit and bringing it a little bit more personal. Um, if you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing a story of rejection that you experienced and how that felt and how you processed it? And if you still revisit it now, since we've been talking so much about how emotional pain kind of sticks around yeah actually when I was thinking um which which rejection story to share I kind of wanted to do too many ones if that's okay um just because I think rejection on a what feels like a personal level in terms of like romantic relationships especially um it's a tricky one for me I guess compared to rejection in terms of more like professional or what I would classify for myself as impersonal um, in terms of career and yeah jobs or like schools and courses that kind of thing which I know for some you know people that isn't impersonal especially if your career is like a really important part of your your life I guess Um, but yeah anyway that's just how I kind of I see the two so starting with um a story of rejection from the many applications um, for a job hunt that I have kind of been doing over the last, well, for a really long time, but specifically um, in the last kind of couple of months as I'm finishing off uh, my master's and kind of looking for a job now. I think um, what really came up for me when I've like received rejections is definitely like that that 
kind of automatic um and for now at least I feel uncontrollable tinge of sadness but I've noticed that that with like every application I've been doing and with the you know more experience of rejection that I've had has kind of um dwindled and I think about this in relation to when I applied for Oxford um Oxford University back when I was doing my undergrad and how like hard hitting I took that um and I I acknowledge that part of the reason was because I had back then um put a lot of my sense of self-worth and um my intellect was kind of tied up with whether I got a place or not and I kind of attached my my ego which is not who I am inherently to the ideal of attending like the best university or whatever in the UK um whereas I feel like now that I've kind of matured a bit more and had more experiences of rejection I've kind of been able to manage a more healthy balance um between and like a detachment I guess between the job and myself and acknowledging that just because I wasn't selected for that role doesn't say anything really about me as a person or even my skills it just means that for whatever reason I was not what they're looking for and I've kind of gotten through it by trying to put myself in the shoes of a recruiter and I feel like I've had kind of that experience especially um with uh society kind of like being in committee positions in different societies um throughout uh um university where I've been in a decision making role where I've had to decide whether someone is getting a role based on their qualifications and not who they are as a person and so I think having that other perspective has made it easier for me to understand that when you know a recruiter is looking for something it doesn't mean it's to do with you it's just you're not the right fit for the role and if the tables were reversed you would obviously want the best person to be working on whatever you're working on um I guess kind of romantic (laughs) rejection though is yeah like I said still something I'm working on and I think that to me is inherently a lot more personal um and I acknowledge as well that it's only personal because of the way that I view it and the feelings that I attach to um to another person's kind of especially like a romantic partner's um like view of me but I think with that what I'm kind what I've kind of been or how I've kind of been like dealing with those um situations is to remember that not everyone sees your value um and some people just are not capable of seeing your value because for whatever reason different worldview different needs different wants um or just looking for different things and so they don't see what value you have to offer but it doesn't mean that you don't have an inherent value and yeah I think just because of the intimacy that accompanies romantic relationship that can be a lot more a lot more intense um so I guess yeah my my tips for that has been kind of yeah just trying not to dwell on the past and when I do find myself kind of going because I think when you leave the brain to be idle, it's easier to just, you know, fall, like like we've kind of been saying, fall into those old habits, especially of dwelling in the past. So I just make myself focus on whatever I'm doing in that moment, but like really being present 
with it um like talking myself through mentally like okay what am I smelling like using the senses what am I feeling um what am I seeing what am I hearing and yeah just kind of always trying to bring my focus back to the present um and I feel like it's kind of it's starting to work I catch myself a lot quicker in the daydreaming (laughs) and um I I feel like I'm even to the point now where I don't necessarily have to offer my brain like my brain will just know okay like Sophia wants the present (laughs) let's um let's focus on that but um yeah what are your kind of experiences I think I'll share um maybe kind of similar to you I'll share like uh one about like profession or career one about romantic and then maybe one about um like platonic friendship or something um but yeah, so for for like a work related rejection story, um, I don't know if this is happening in the UK, but in the US because of COVID, um, a lot of schools aren't opening up, and even if they are, a lot of families are choosing to do something different. So there's this thing called micropods um, or like mini schools, and um, so at the moment I'm like running this business with my sister, but that ends in the beginning of November and then I'll be moving back to California. And I was thinking like my, my real passion or like my personal passion is outdoor education um, or like nature-based education for children. So I was like, Oh, this would be like these mini pods, mini schools would be such a good way to get involved in that. Um, And so I was connected with this family who were looking for an outdoor teacher for their group of kids Um, And in our email thread, I was like, oh, hey, like, just so you know, I'll only be there from November till the end of April, just because that's like the timeline of um, the farming season or the off season for the farm. Um, And she was like, "Okay, like, we'll talk on the phone. And then when we talked on the phone, I told her again about my um, timing. And she was like, oh, that's a little bit disappointing. You know, like we are looking for someone who is available for the whole school year. And in that moment, of course, like my brain was like, yeah, of course that makes sense. Like I want what's best for you and your kids. But I think I had attached so much excitement and like, you know, potential for the future on this moment that even though I knew it was going to be best for them to find someone else, I was so sad and disappointed. Um, And so, you know, it it was like a pleasant conversation after that. Like She was like, yeah, I just want to hear a little bit more about you, but like we probably will look for other people. Um, but when I when I like hung up on the phone, I was just so sad that I called my dad and like we talked through it. And I think that personally for myself and I know that I'm somewhat privileged and that I have such a close relationship with my dad. But that tends to help me a lot because I think sometimes when I'm trying to process these things on my own, um, I think in certain scenarios I can. But sometimes it helps just to have someone to bounce this off of, you know, because when you say something out loud, Um, sometimes it can make it be like, oh yeah, wait, that is kind of silly. What I was thinking was so legit in my mind. But when I say it out loud, I'm like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Um, So that was one that happened fairly recently. I think uh, like a romantic story of rejection, um, which I guess is not so much romantic, basically. um, And I have spoken about this in past episodes, but um, I have started because I'm just not really into online dating or anything. So I have started to when I when I find myself physically attracted to someone when I'm out and about, um, just passing them my number or just telling them to their face, like, oh, I think you're very handsome. Like, here's my number if you're interested. Um, so 
I think about a month ago, um, I saw this waiter in this restaurant who I thought was very handsome. And I went in and I basically said that and gave him my number. And I never heard back from him. And, you know, I mean, that's obviously like, you know, that was just what I had done. And he had no need or like, you know, he didn't owe me anything. Um, but I think just that unknown in that moment of just being like, oh, you know, I, I could see myself making so many stories like, oh, maybe I wrote down my number wrong or, oh, maybe he lost the note. But then I was just like, I just ha- kind of had to be firm to myself and be like, no, he's not interested. It's time to move on. Um, but that, I think it, it's funny because that one, I think definitely kind of um, reflected back on me before I was able to like kind of stop this train of thoughts, but it reflected back more on my physical characteristics. I think because I had approached him purely out of like physical attraction. Um, So in my mind, as I was kind of like getting upset or like feeling rejected, I was like, oh, it must be because of my physical appearance. And whether that's true or not, it doesn't really matter. Um, But I think I, I had to intentionally stop that. And Sophia, you gave me a lot of really good advice on that as well, about like distancing yourself from the emotions that you're going through and stuff. Um, And then I think the final little story of rejection that I'll share was actually between you and I, and I don't even really know if it it qualifies as rejection. Um, But as some of you have probably seen on Winter's Bloom and stuff, there was a period of time where some of the articles that I was writing and some of the posts that I was posting on Instagram were a little bit more aggressive or angry in nature. Um, And Sophia gave me a little bit of feedback. And my initial reaction was maybe rejection that I felt like, Sophia, you weren't necessarily like on the same page as me. But I think that that one was so much easier to kind of process and get over because we have such a strong foundation and like a history of kind of like giving each other criticism and feedback like there's that whole idea of like criticizing something or someone because you love them and then you want them to grow and I think in our relationship I definitely see that whereas in other relationships I have I haven't and like maybe that's just because there hasn't been that layer of trust I'm not sure um but yeah those are my little anecdotes on rejection (laughs) well thanks for sharing that and yeah, as you were saying that, I was kind of reflecting on, um, I guess, rejection also in friendship compared to romantic relationships. And I think, um, I don't know, I've from like my experiences, I feel like I've been able to handle the feelings of rejection or like maybe not handle it, but there's more kind of, um, I don't know if it's right to say there's less at stake, but. I just feel like the, the the moments that I've kind of experienced that feeling of rejection, whether that's like, you know, a friend has other things to do or like I'm just feeling like I'm not a priority or whatever in their lives. I feel like it's been easier for me to address that with them than it has been with a romantic partner. And I, I think I need to think more about that. But I do feel that that feeling of being needy um or coming across as needy can be a bit crippling for me in romantic relationships compared to like a friendship where I almost, I don't know, like, I guess maybe it's just because I have those strong friendships that I don't doubt how the other person feels about me. And maybe like in 
more romantic situations that's a bit a bit different but anyway those are just (laughs) musings as well um that came to mind well thank you everyone for joining us um for our topic on rejection we hope that um it offered some kind of story for you all to connect with um and please if you have your own opinions own stories ideas about rejection or if you just liked this podcast in general Please reach out, tag us on Instagram at wintersbloom underscore um, and connect with us because we'd love to hear your perspectives. Um, All right. Bye.